We're going to read another reading from Isaiah 35, and I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to that. I'm going to read the whole of Isaiah 35, because it describes to us what Hebrews is going to tell us very soon in chapter 4, about the rest that is available to God's own, to His people. And so this is a promise made in the Old Testament to God's people, but also to those of us who live now in 2021, as we look to the return of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly. And rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall, give, shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. And make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any, any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. See where we got the song from. We look forward to that rest, but we'll find out what the Lord says about that rest to us for today. Let's just remain seated and we'll sing this next song as we prepare to open God's word. This is God's promise to you and I as we come to him.
and your words of truth. Lord, plant that truth in us so that we will continue the race that is before us and give you glory and live out Jesus Christ. Help us now, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first 13 verses, and I know there's a lot there. But I'm going to be coming back to um, verses, uh, where are we? verses 12 to 13 next week again as we look at God's Word specifically. But we will be touching on those verses this morning. So Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start our reading in chapter 3, verse 12, because um, otherwise we lose track of where we're at. So chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, and that includes you, sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And that's Psalm 95 that JB read for us. For, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For we are somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Quoting Genesis. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. 
For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, at first reading, that seems a bit confusing. No? Or is it just me? Joshua, Moses, Genesis, rest, Sabbath. We'll try and make sense of it. If you had to sum up our modern age in one word, there could be many, but one that could be summed up is restlessness. Our modern culture is often characterized by this frenetic activity which resists spiritual life, a running around. And this frenetic activity pushes away recognition of God's voice and His call to rest. Life's seemingly endless treadmill of wake, work, sleep, repeat, and all its to-do lists, it all adds a weight to our souls. And even if you have a good night's sleep, you can't seem to ever have that rest. Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass, the character of the Red Queen, best sums it up when she says to Alice, Now here, you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. Doesn't that sum up life today? And as a result, in the crush and rush of weeks, and as they flash before our eyes, and yes, it's August, we sacrifice the important for the urgent. We sacrifice the private daily disciplines for that public face I've got to put on every day. And it results in something. It results in a growing spiritual emptiness. And we seek to fill that void in us with short-term boosts. That's how we work life these days. If you need energy, take a boost. We do that spiritually too. And it comes in the form of satisfying our cravings. Whether it's eating or all the other cravings that there are, we satisfy them because we just want to get a boost. And this all leads to physical and emotional fatigue. It's a declining slope. And it's called spiritual wandering, W-A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G. And this results, and the fatigue that it results in, is not a new problem. Adam and Eve faced it. When they were put out of the garden, immediately they went into spiritual fatigue. The Israelites rights faced it in the wilderness, going round and round in the desert for 40 years. Must have got to them. The New Testament believers faced it. That's why the book of Hebrews was written. Because these believers were feeling tired. And they were asking themselves, will I give up on the Christian walk and go back to the old ways? And you and I face spiritual fatigue. And in the face of all this frenetic running around, God calls out to us and offers us His rest. So what is His rest? 
Let's look at it. Look at verse 4. Now, we're not going to be able to work through the passage in little consequential little verses. So we're going to have to jump around a bit. So you're going to have to stay with me here. So look at verse 4 of chapter 4. What does it say? What is God's rest? Here's a clue. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Oh. So that's Genesis. So what happened back in Genesis? Well, let's look. If you go back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, what does it say? So God had created everything on earth, and then what? Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Now just think of that sentence, what it's saying. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So, it's speaking about a creation rest here. So what did God do when he rested? Did he stop working and put his feet up and chill out? No. What do we know about God? He's a God of infinite strength. He doesn't get tired like us. He doesn't get exhausted. So it couldn't have been that. But God rested from his work of creation. And he stood back and he said, It is good. There was his rest. What was that? It was a proclamation of perfection. There's not one thing I look at that is not perfect. It is good. Even these human creatures I've made, Adam and Eve, it is good. And he rested. What was that? It was 100% satisfaction with what he had done. Now, we can only understand that in a little way. Have you ever built a fence? JB, put up here. You stand back when you've done a hard job and you look at it and you say, it's good. You know that sense of satisfaction? That's just a little taste. But God stood and he said, it is good. He rested. And so here's a clue. What is his rest? Complete satisfaction. There's more. Because from that very moment when God rested, he made his rest available to mankind. That's what this verse is saying. And so we get the same rest he enjoyed. Think about that statement. When we come into God's rest, he gives us complete satisfaction. Now, it might not always feel that way in this life. But we get glimpses of it every now and then. But one day in eternity, we will know what complete satisfaction is because we will be fully in the rest of God. So there's one clue. It's complete satisfaction. And it's from God. He speaks about another rest here. He speaks about a Canaan rest. The Israelites experienced a rest too. 
They went into the land flowing with milk and honey. So what was this rest that they experienced? Well, they could live in houses they hadn't built. They just moved in because the inhabitants of that land moved out. And there were the houses, there were the lands, there were the fields, there was the farming equipment, there were the animals, there was the stock. They moved in. They enjoyed the abundance of this land God had given to them. They moved into houses they hadn't built. They enjoyed crops they hadn't sown. They took possession of land they hadn't bought. So what was that? It was God's overwhelming blessing on them. What is his rest? Overwhelming blessing. So there's another clue to what God's rest is. There's more. There's the New Testament as well. Christ speaks about his rest. Turn to Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 to 30. Let's go and look at that passage. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 to 30. What does it say? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is this rest that Christ offers? It is unimaginable peace. He says, bring your yoke, bring your burdens and give them to me. And so even in the midst of seemingly insurmountable trouble, Jesus Christ says, give me your burdens. I will give you my rest. It might not look like it around you, but I will give you rest that you will not even understand. Give it to me. So, there's another clue. What is the rest of God? It's unimaginable peace which He gives us. There's more. There's a future rest. Look at verses 9 to 10. There's a future rest, a Zion rest, which David speaks about. And there was a time when, peop when people would no longer be under the curse of sin and death. And they would enter into God's rest. When did that happen? When Jesus Christ came and died for us. He took away the fear of and the curse of sin and death. But it was a looking forward to. He gives us complete physical and soul rest. It doesn't mean when we get to heaven one day, there's going to be no work. There's going to be work, but it's going to be like in Genesis. It's going to be work, and it's not going to be by the sweat of your brow. That was part of the curse. So in some way, I don't know how, we're going to be doing work in heaven, but it's going to be enjoyable. Think of the best thing you can think of to do that you so enjoy. I'm not going to say anything. I like riding my motorbike. It's not work. But think of the thing you just love doing. Heaven's going to be a bit like that. 
God's going to give us His work to do, and we're going to love doing it. Every single moment of the day, we're going to love doing what He's put before us. Work isn't going to be a grind. That's why, because it's His rest He gives us. So what is God's rest? Let's summarize. God's rest is complete and utter satisfaction. It is God-given satisfaction. It is overwhelming blessing. God's rest is unimaginable peace despite the circumstances. God's rest is complete physical and soul rest. So that's what his rest is. There's more, but Hebrews. So, does everyone get this rest? All right? Everyone. We're all entitled to this rest? What does verse 1 say? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, so his promise of rest is there, that's there, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So does everyone get this rest? You see, there's a false gospel out there in society that if I live life on my terms, I'll have peace, satisfaction, and I'll be able to retire, and all will be well. I'll have rest. But what happens when I don't get that evasive rest? And when peace eludes me? What then? How do I respond as someone who doesn't have God's rest in me? Well, it usually results in disillusionment. It usually results in a rising suicide rate in our country. I heard with great shock that, uh, was it last week or the week before, there were five suicides in Whanganui. Five. Disillusionment. You see, God offers true rest. But we don't, we don't all get it automatically. We don't all get it on our terms. In fact, none of us get it on our terms. God's rest is available. How? On His terms. You see, verse 1 says, God's offer of rest still stands and is available. And anyone who seeks it will find it. It's open to anyone who will seek Him. Now, I know there's election. We're not going there now. God's rest is available to any who will seek it. Because if you seek His rest, you will find God. And He will find you. Because He knows about you. But the reality is that even though some find it, some will fail to find it. Why? You see, there was a generation in Israel's history who missed out on the promised rest. Why did they miss out? The truth was before them. The truth was illustrated to them in major, awesome ways. And yet some turned their backs on the truth. And therefore they died in the wilderness. Some didn't find God's rest. Was it God's fault? No. The truth was there. They turned their backs. It was there to be found, but they turned their backs. You see, the rabbis in the time of the Hebrews couldn't accept this thing, that not everyone will find rest. And so they, they made this new place, which they called another resting place, where those who miss out on God's rest, there's another resting place for them. 
And I'm not sure, I haven't gone into this, the history of this, but it could be where the whole purgatory idea comes from. That there is another place. We leave it at that. But everyone doesn't get a medal just for participation in the kingdom of God. I'm sorry to say it's a philosophy out there in the world now, but it's not how it works in reality. Why? Because God offers His rest on His terms alone. And so things won't just automatically work out for you in life. And at the end of life, somehow magically she'll be right. If you don't act by searching for and finding the rest God offers, you will not find it. You need to search to find it. You need to search for God to find His rest. And if you don't, you shut yourself out of the rest of God. You shut yourself out. Don't blame God. I was sharing with a men um, on Thursday. We're doing the book of Romans. And um, if you've been watching TV, you've seen these floods that happen in Europe. And especially I, I saw the one in Belgium. And I just noted this one lady. And look, I'm sitting in my armchair in New Zealand. I'm not sitting surrounded by water. I mean, in my armchair. We are surrounded by water. But, but here's this lady, and she must have been in, about 80-ish. She had just lost everything. And when the camera interviewed her, they asked, so what do you say to all this? And I just, it just haunts me. Her face turned to anger. And she said, why does God do this to us? And I just asked myself, and yes, she was responding. I get that. But had that lady even been to a church that last week? Had she even have a relationship with the Lord? And yet God gets blamed. If we don't seek the Lord, if we don't seek His rest, we shut ourselves out of the kingdom. We can't blame God. That's what this verse is saying. The reality is that you need to seek His rest. You know, there's an application for you and I as believers too. Those who have received the life of Jesus Christ in us. There's a, there's a term here for us too. If you and I as believers don't live under God's terms for true rest, we will not find it either in this life. What do I mean by that? You see, there are many believers who have this idea, and it's a wrong idea, that failure to enter into everything that God has for you in this life, oh, it's regrettable, but it's not very serious. God says to us, look at verse 1, we should fear it. Fear missing out on the rest of God. What does that mean? It means that if you don't come to God and come under His terms as a believer, if you live in disobedience, in other words, you will always feel unfulfilled. You will always feel searching for true satisfaction. You will always be one who's doubting. You will always be one who's fearful of the next thing that comes along. As we see many who are. Why? Because you are doubting in who God is. You haven't got His rest at work daily in your life. 
And you tend to live a life which is a grey Christian life. And you miss out on the full colour blessing that's available to those who have entered His rest. How do you enter His rest? By standing in Christ. Despite everything. By standing in Him. You know, it's not your standing in Christ that is at stake here, but it's your standing before Him which is. Do you get the difference? When you're saved by grace, your standing in Christ is secure. Nothing will ever be able to take you out of the hands of Jesus Christ. He has promised you. Yes. But what is your stand before Him like? It's that daily relationship. Where are you with Him? Are you at rest in Christ? All right, how do we get this rest? Verses 2 and 3. I told you it would be hopping. Verses 2 and 3. How do we get this rest which God offers? Well, these are God's terms. Here we go. Through believing the good news about His rest. Do you and I as believers believe the good news? We say we do, but do we believe it in practice? Take Israel's example, says the writer to the Hebrews. They received the good news about God's rest available to them in Canaan through Moses. But this good news, although it presented itself to them in full color, did they take benefit of it? No. Because they didn't? What? Listen. And it's not the hear, it's the listen here. They didn't hear. They didn't listen to God's word. They didn't believe what God had said and show faith in Him. You see, there's the hearing and the faith which has to be combined. That's what this passage in Hebrews is talking about. And so the, the writer to the Hebrews says to them, it's the same with us, he says. You and I too have heard the good news of God's rest through Christ. And we have to combine faith with listening. And do you Hebrew Christians believe God's words to you that He will bring you into His rest. Yes, you're going through hard times now. Yes, society is against you. Yes, you've lost your job. You don't have an occupation. You don't know where your next meal is coming from, He says to these Hebrews. But do you believe that Jesus Christ will bring you into His rest? You see the upheaval around you. You experience the turmoil of upturned and difficult lives. And you fail to combine faith with listening. And so the rest escapes you. You doubt, you worry, and you start to drift. Those are the consequences. And so the appeal here to you and I in 2021 is this morning, combine faith with listening. If you hear God's word, believe him. Put it into practice. And he will help you in that. And he will carry through what he has said to you in his word. He'll do it for you. He will not fail. Do you believe that? Will you stand on that promise? Then, he says, enter into his rest. Now, that's an interesting word that he uses there in verse 3. Enter into the rest. It's written in the present continuous form. Acer homai. You want to say that? I just want to see you awake still. Acer homai. Homai. All right, there you go. And what does it mean? It means you are already in the process of entering. Man, that's fantastic. 
If you're a child of God, and if you step into His rest, you are already in the process of entering His rest. It's already started. I've said before from this pulpit, you start living eternity now. You can already experience His rest now. Why? Because you've already entered into it. You are entering into it, says the writer to the Hebrews. Why are you and I entering into the rest of God? Because we've been invited to enter. You see, in the, in the Near Eastern home that this, time was, that this was written in, you only entered a house by invitation. If you came in in any other way, it was a hostile act. The Lord, the God of the universe, invites you and I into His rest. And He says, it's already started for you. Believe, have faith, and I will be there for you. Isn't that amazing? So when do we get this rest? Come on. I want this rest now. When do we get it? We get this rest. Verse 7. Anyone give me an answer? Today. Thank you, Sue. Today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Are you hearing God's word today? It's now. God has made another opportunity. That word today is loaded. That word today means I'm giving you another opportunity. The Lord God of the universe has said it is not over. There is a time now to listen. It's today while you're hearing the words today. There's an urgency. There's an imminence there. He's saying today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. His rest is available to you in this moment while you hear him saying to you, Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened. I will give you rest. It's immediately available right now. If you'd only take him at his word, you don't first have to prove yourself. You know, I don't know what it is with us. I first got to prove myself. What are you going to do to prove yourself to Almighty God? You don't first have to go on a pilgrimage to find this rest he offers. You don't first have to go to Rome and climb up the holy steps on your knees to find the rest of God. You don't first have to tidy up your life and start living a good life and then God will accept me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's no exclusion clauses there. It's come. And so he says to us, come, come to me with your weariness. Come to me with your burdens. Cast them all on me. That's the whole point. If we're going to handle it, why do we give it to God? It's because we can't. And I will take those burdens and I will take your weariness from you, says Jesus. And in return, I will give you my rest. You can experience my rest now in this lifetime. And while you're experiencing life's hard times, you will have my rest. You don't have to wait to start experiencing my rest. I give it to you right now, in the moment you need it, for the very next step when you think you can't. My rest is there. Just ask and believe. Combine faith with hearing. But that's not all. That's for this lifetime. There's a future rest waiting for us too. 
verses 8 to 9. You see, there's a bonus here. I can always, he says, I'll also ensure my rescue in the future. There's a future rest available to you and I too. And we are just tasting of that rest now. A wee foretaste. What does he speak about? Verses 8 to 9, he speaks about Joshua. Joshua led the people into the land of Canaan. And so when they arrived in Canaan, that's it. Nirvana, we've arrived. Nothing more in life. This is it. It's a dusty bowl. Is that all? But it wasn't, you see. Joshua was leading them and he was forming a picture to the people of another Joshua. A Yeshua. That's Joshua, Jesus, who would come. And he would lead his people into his rest. And then David warns him, Psalm 95, he says, My people, and this was after they'd been living in the promised land for quite a while. So he was pointing from the promised land ahead. He was saying, My people, don't harden your hearts. Otherwise, you will miss out going into Zion and worshiping the Lord in Jerusalem. Do you see? He's pointing forward. And so he warned them. But what about you and I? Turn with me to Revelation 21. You want to know what your future rest looks like? Revelation 21, verse 1 to 8. Let's look at it. It's beautiful. It is invigorating and inspiring. This is what God promises to you and I. Revelation 21, verse 1 to 8. Just imagine yourself here now. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Rest, no rest. What do we do with this? Well, in the vogue of what's currently happening in the world, I want to offer you a passport. The world is offering these health passports now, and um, that's an effort to get, I guess, economy stimulated and everything again. And I'm not going down there, but there's a passport available to you and I too. It's a rest passport. Now, stick with my picture here. You make application for this passport through Jesus Christ 
alone. You put your hope in Him. You ask Him to come into your life. You hear Christ's voice and you have confidence in Christ. Look at chapter 3 verse 14. There's our clue. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Make application for your rest passport through Jesus Christ. What is the supporting documentation you need? It's not in triplicate. You need obedience through faith. You need obedience through faith. How do you know if you've got obedience through faith? God's word will test you. Look at chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. How do you apply? You say to God, God, here is my perfect life. No. You say to God, Lord, as I look at your word, as I believe what you say, you show me that I'm imperfect. I can't even hide my thoughts from you. You know what I'm going to think before I've thought those thoughts. And so I bring a heart exposed before you. And Jesus Christ covers that heart with his blood. And his life and his blood is seen covering my life. I make application to you, Lord, in Christ Jesus. What's the supporting documentation you need? You strive to enter that rest. So does that mean my works? God's going to look at my works and say, oh, what a good boy. Let him come into the kingdom. No. I've given my heart to Jesus Christ first. And it's after he's done that miracle of grace he then looks at my life and he says, are you truly a son of God? My son, my daughter, look in your life. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? I see them. Come into my kingdom. Here is my rest. There is the passport of the Lamb, the Son of God. Bring it with you to heaven. What do we do with this? Just two sentences. I want to leave with you. They're Paul sentences, are they? Unbelief forfeits rest. There's a summary. Do we hear God's word and act on it? Or do we hear God's word and turn our backs? Sweet and simple. If you want to turn your back on God's word, you will turn your back on his rest. You will live a half-life of missed blessings when you could live a full life of overwhelming blessing in Christ and having his rest in all its color. Secondly, rest in Christ. Come to me, weary Christian. Bring your burdens to me. 
Give them to me. You know, there's a man who was walking along a road and a truck came by and he had this massive bag and he was struggling. And so the truck driver stopped. He said, can I give you a lift? Please. And the guy gets on the truck and the truck rides off. And in the back is a man carrying a massive big thing on his back. What's the point? We like that with the Lord. Lord, please help me in this situation. And then we work it out ourselves. And we worry about it. Give it to the Lord. Yes, he still says, use your common sense and use the opportunities I put before you. Yes, but leave the worrying. Give it to me. I will work things out. Why? I'm all-powerful, I'm all-knowing, and I love you. Rest in me. You see, what he does is he eases us now in this life we live. He gives us just a little insight into the full reality of eternal rest waiting for us. If only we would grab onto it and let go of our own pride and our own abilities. Give it to Jesus Christ. What is this going to look like in the future? I'm going to end with a quote from John MacArthur. We've lived, let's hear. <clears throat> this is a description of Adam and Eve before they sinned. This is a description of you and I in eternity. Listen to what it sounds like. Put your own name in here now. Adam and Eve were completely righteous when they were created. They walked and they talked with God as regularly and as naturally as they walked and talked with each other. Heaven. We're going to walk and talk with God. They were at rest in its original and its fullest sense. They relied on God for everything. In heaven, we're going to rely on God for everything. There's going to be a stream flowing down. No, we're not going to get in. It's a whole sermon. They were at rest. They relied on God for everything. They had no anxieties. They had no worries, no pain, no frustrations, no heartaches. They did not need God's forgiveness because they had no sin to be forgiven of. They did not need His consolation because they were never grieved. They did not need His encouragement because they never failed. They only needed His fellowship because they were made for Him. This was their rest in God. God completed His perfect work and he rested. They were his perfect work. And they rested in him. We are his perfect work. And we can rest in him. Let's combine hearing with obedience. Amen. Lord, your word is a powerful two-edged sword. And it cuts into our lives, Lord. It shows us those areas of our lives which are still at war with you. Lord, help us. In light of your word, in light of the truth we hear and see, to be obedient. And to turn those areas of our lives over to you. To bring that anxiety. To bring those worries. To bring those circumstances which we can't understand. And rest them at the feet of Jesus Christ. Cast our burdens on you. 
like a great weight off our shoulders. And you will in turn give us your peace, your rest, which we won't be able to understand, but it will be real. Help us, Lord, to trust you completely. 